man, prayer is powerful. That's why we do it. That's why we gather and pray. That's why we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. Really excited. We've really seen God move. I want to encourage you, uh, if you have been, you know, not here for a month and a half and you have no idea what we've been talking about all Sunday, don't worry. We have a really good guide about prayer and fasting that's online on our website. And it'll explain not only the biblical basis of fasting, but also uh, how to fast, what what you can fast, different fasts. And I really encourage you to check that out because I think it's important to kind of go in informed and prepared. And so it's got some steps of preparation. You're like, well, the fast is starting today. It's like, listen, better to go learn and be prepared and jump in than be like, well, it started today. I'm not going to be a part of it, right? In fact, if you're listening to this online and it's the 20th day of 21 days of prayer and fasting, do it. Right? We all agree. All of us here on day one, we're speaking to someone in the future. Do it. Be a part of it because it's amazing what God does. We're going to be praying and fasting and believing together for God to move. And I really encourage you. I know giving up social media is cool. You know, what we call like a soul fast or, you know, maybe taking a break from TV. Very cool. But there's something special about the, the biblically designed fasting from food and certain items. It's very important. And so I encourage you to check that out, not to put down any of the other fast options at all by any means. And nor am I saying you're not fasting. I just really encourage you to stretch yourself in that and to really seek God. People keep asking me, pastor, what should I fast? And they want me to tell them specifically, like, I don't know, do the Daniel fast or do a sun up till sundown, a very traditional Jewish fast. And I keep telling them, seek God. Because if you're just picking things, you need to be honest and say, this is a very spiritual diet. But we're not here for spiritual dieting. We're here to seek God. And if you just wanted to eat healthy in the new year, you should have said that right? Come on. Now, if the, if the secondhand thing is, you know, you eat better, that's, that's cool too. That's fine. But the primary is that we seek God. Amen. I really want to encourage you that we're, we're here to seek God this morning and to seek him in his word. We're beginning a new series on David and on King David, and we're going to jump in to first Samuel. So if you brought your Bible, would you open it to first Samuel chapter 16? If you didn't bring it, don't worry. Uh, the words are going to be on the screen. And if I cough, I apologize. I'm finally like 90% over a lung infection. So rocking and rolling. I'm supposed to lead worship next week. So I'm believing I'm going to be 100%. Whew, yeah, in the Lord's power, right? Um, but let, let's pray. You can all pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. And our prayer is that your word is communicated today and that it it changes our heart and our mind and that it reveals the truth of who you are to us. So we come before you with that in your name. Amen. Katie, could you give me a favor? Could you give me some coffee or something or water or something liquid that's not alcohol? (laughs) Or I guess whatever's out there, I'll take it. (laughs) Depends on how hospitable hospitality team was feeling today, right? (laughs) Well, this week... uh, I don't know, any, any football fans here? You guys football fans? I'm a University of Washington football fan, so the week started bad, ended bad for me. Um, no, get out. Um, <laughs> that's all right. Some people root for cheaters, some people don't. It's okay. Um, 
But, yeah, it's been a weird coaching week in football. I don't know if you don't follow football. Let me just tell you, it's been a unique coaching week. A lot of coaches uh, have been moving and transitioning. And old time, I mean, I'm thinking like Pete Carroll, uh, no longer, you know, coaching at the Seahawks. And they always do that thing where they say, like, well, we've, like, mutually really agreed he's going to be in operations, which is the clever way of saying we wanted to fire him, but we don't want to pay certain amounts of money. Um, the one that, you know, was wild to me is Bill Belichick, you know, uh, the crafts moving on from Belichick. And I was thinking about it this week because I was thinking like, man, how long that's been, you know, and I, and I was thinking back to the years of Belichick and Brady and I, that's always this conversation of who was great and who was greater. I'm like, I don't care if you hate the Patriots, you have to recognize that that was like one of the most dominant combos in sports for years for years, I remember as a Seahawks fan watching them march down the field and crush our hopes and dreams. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. And, uh, and I was thinking back because I like college football and I dislike Michigan right now. Normally, love them. Very, you know, pro-Michigan. Uh, but I was thinking about, you know, when, when Tom Brady was at Michigan, and the funny part of Tom Brady being at Michigan is that Michigan kind of was trying to elevate, just I'll make it short, trying to elevate another quarterback over him. That was like their goal. And the funny thing to me thinking about like Tom Brady and even thinking about Belichick, but like just the greatness of that duo was the absolute unextraordinary entry that he had into the NFL. Like a very unexciting, unextraordinary entry into playing professional football. And, you know, he was good in college, but he had like an embarrassingly bad combine. He comes in, you know, in a late round. But what I, <coughs> sorry, what I love is that Belichick saw something inside a mentality and uh, it's good that he did for his own sake, apparently, because uh, he can't do well without him. But he saw something in the mentality of him on the inside that the combine, have you ever seen his combine photo, uh, it didn't show, right? There was a physical thing. It didn't quite show. And I love this about good football coaches, that they can find a way to see things inside players that other people don't see. And you turn on all these commentators, and they're like, Lamar Jackson, I, I, why would you pick Lamar Jackson? He's going to be awful, right? Colin Cowherd just makes a career out of ice-cold takes, just constantly saying, how could you pick this person? Sam Darnold's the future of football. And yet good football coaches continually, 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 like great coaches do, see something inside of somebody that other people don't see on the outside. I think great teachers see something inside of a student that the outward doesn't always show. I think great leaders see something inside of people that the outward doesn't always show, right? How many of you have ever had someone see something inside of you and you're like, I know as a young person, I was not showing on the outside what apparently they saw on the inside, right? The pastor who hired me saw something on the inside of me that the outside of me was not showing. I can promise you that. And regardless of, you know, anything that happened in that time, they took a chance on me because of something they saw inside of me. And I love that. I love stories where unexpected people do extraordinary and great things because somebody saw something on the inside of them. I think it's inspiring to us, right? One of my favorite movies is Rudy. How many of you have seen Rudy, right? Amazing. Why do we love that movie? Because the average person feels ordinary, and the average person feels small. 
The average person feels forgotten, overlooked. The average person is so busy, they feel like they're going through the grind. And so there's something about seeing someone plucked from the ordinary into the extraordinary that inspires us that that possibility is there. <coughs> and I gotta tell you this morning that that's the story of the kingdom. God does extraordinary things with unexpected people. I want to just jump into scripture because that's about all the breath I have today. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16. <coughs> Man, someone make it warmer. Come on, global warming. It's a work. <laughs> had my car running all day. Didn't help. It's still cold. 1 Samuel 16 says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do. We're going cough drops here, y'all. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So Samuel is, uh, he's mourning Saul's failure. Saul, there was a lot of high hopes for Saul. How many of you have had high hopes for a scenario and it did not go well, right? And there is kind of a period of mourning where people are like, yeah, man, it didn't work out, move on. And you're like, I know, but like, I really believe this was gonna go well. And Samuel is mourning this guy. I mean, Saul, he was tall, he was handsome, he was talented, but man, he was a bad king. Right, we did a series on Saul, and we called it anti-hero. And it's not just because uh, I'm a Taylor Swift fan, because I'm not. <laughs> but he was a bad king. He did not follow God, and so he's stripped of his kingdom. In 1 Samuel 13, the Lord says, he said, your kingdom's not going to continue. Samuel speaks to Saul, he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Saul is mourning this moment. It says he sends him in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 4. It says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. That's a famous name, right, Bethlehem? You guys follow me? The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, do you come peaceably? That's an interesting response. They see Samuel coming, they're like, uh-oh, something's going on, Right? See, when we think of the prophetic, we just think of that lady that loves the Holy Spirit in the church, right? We're, we're teaching on the prophetic. We're trying to break that thought because the prophetic is for, for all people, right? It's the gifting of the Lord. But the prophet at that time, especially Samuel, was a Levitical judge. And so they would do a couple things. One of the things that they would do is they would offer a sacrificial animal as an atonement for an unsolved murder in a rural region. And so one of the things they could have been afraid of, I guess first and foremost, is they could have been afraid that something had occurred that God had told Samuel but not told them, and he was there to judge them. And that would be scary. As a rule of thumb, you weren't psyched when you saw a prophet come to town. Because I don't know if you've read the prophetic books, but they're not really like, you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. <laughs> Love, God loves what you're doing. I just popped in to say, hey. Hope you guys are having fun. Good job obeying all the laws in the Sabbath. You're doing a great job. Usually it's like, I will send the Syrians and they'll strip the flesh from your boats, right? It's like, whoa. 
I was talking to some the other day. He's like, I'm reading some of the prophets and I'm scared. I'm like, yes, be thankful for Jesus, right? So they're a little concerned. But verse five, it says, and he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. They're like, good. He said, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, what it says, and his sons, well, it did. That, that's using the word very uh, liberally because we're going to find out in a second it was not all of his sons that he say, um, consecrated. Verse 6 says, When they came, so they consecrated, they came together, he, meaning Samuel, looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointing is before him. He thought, Surely this guy's anointing. Why did, why did he think he was anointed? Well, Samuel was looking at Eliab with human vision. And here's what he saw. He saw that Eliab was the oldest. He saw that he had a very nice appearance. He was handsome. And he saw that he was very tall. So he was very strong. That was like all the qualifications of Saul. All the qualifications of Saul was that he was the oldest he was handsome, and he was tall. He had good social standing. He was very appealing, and he was very strong. Did that work out for the people of Israel? No, <laughs> it did not work out. But I got to say, I think we do this, church. We say, of course, that's the job God's called me to go to. It makes more money, right? Why would God... I mean, the chosen job for me from God is going to make more money, right? Because that's what God cares about the most is that I make more money. And so, of course, why would God lead me to not the tallest, most handsome job, right? Come on, let's be honest, right? Of course, that's the man God sent me. I mean, we've never talked, but look how tall he is. Of course, that's the girl that, you know, God has sent me. Look at her, right? She's so put together on the outside. <laughs> of course, that's the church for me. They tell me exactly what I want to hear. They have the program that's exactly for me. Certainly, God wouldn't call me to a church where I had to actively participate in the growth of something. He's trying to send me for me. He likes me for me. <laughs> You're singing it in your head, aren't you? I love you. I did that for you. <laughs> Why? Because we look with worldly vision. We see the Eliab of our life. We say, surely that's from God. Surely that's from God. But God is interesting. But he's consistent. Here's what he says. Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on his heart. This, and is, is it up? Can you put it back up? No, you're good. We knew it was in your heart. <clears throat> <clears throat> now you can look at this, because this is important. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If, you, if you're gonna like underline something in your Bible, man, this would be the time. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. That's a powerful declaration about God's character and about God's judgment. 
God is saying to Samuel, Samuel, you're using the wrong vision. You're looking outward. The Lord, though he made beautiful things, he looks inward. Samuel needed like a spiritual x-ray vision. Remember Superman had x-ray vision? <coughs> and he only used it for good. See, I know I would have been a villain. I would have used it for evil immediately. <laughs> I remember seeing that show as a young kid and being like, this nerd. <laughs> But Superman, he could see in. I remember there was like the old cereal boxes. You could get the x-ray glasses on. You're supposed to be able to put them on and see. You don't see anything. It did nothing. <laughs> but there was this idea that you could see to the inside. See, man, humans, we have flat vision. We see the surface, and we make a judgment. So we see an appearance. We make a judgment, right? We say, oh, they, they look like that, so they must be blank. We see in experiences. We say, oh, they have that experience. Oh, they must that we see a past. We say, oh, they have that past. They must be blank. We see like a wins loss record. Oh, they have that. We see, you know, maybe some finances, positive, negative. We say, oh, they must be that because we look on the outside, but God has that x-ray spirit vision. He sees on the inside. He sees the heart. And, it, and scripture says, God makes the judgment based on the heart and on the character. So God says the same. <clears throat> Sorry, I got to put this thing back in. I apologize, guys. He says, listen, you got to put on the x-ray vision because I'm going to begin to anoint the unexpected. And it says this in verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord, Lord has not chosen these. He's going down the line. <clears throat> then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we'll not sit down until he comes here. So he made him stand up the whole time. And if you know anything about fields, he's far away. <laughs> and he sent him and brought him in. And he was ruddy. I like that. That's a cool word. And had beautiful eyes and was handsome. How wild what the Lord picks out. It's like he had great eyes. Right? <laughs> That's a compliment. Imagine that being in the Bible about you. That's a win. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Did you get that? Capital S Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, and from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So Samuel puts on the right vision, and he saw what God saw, the anointed king. And it's, this is a really powerful moment, so I want to unpack this. Five quick statements. <clears throat> First thing is, don't worry if the world has overlooked you. Some of you need to hear this today. Don't worry if the world, I'm not saying they haven't overlooked you. I'm just saying don't worry if the world has overlooked you. I know there's many here today. You feel forgotten. You feel overlooked. You feel unqualified. Like if there was a horizon, a vision of just the world, you feel under that horizon. Like when people look out to see what's possible in lives and in futures, you're like, ah, they're not seeing me. I'm down here. I'm under, there's a hill of past experiences that I am underneath. They are seeing over the top of me. But you need to hear today, how much attention they pay you does not define the anointing God gives you. That worldly position does not equal kingdom potential. That David is out in the field, and even in the field, God saw. 
God saw David. And wherever field you're working in, God sees you. And some days it might not see like he sees you, but he sees you. He sees you serving your family. And it feels like nobody sees you serving your family. And you're not getting the credit for serving your family from the people around you. It feels thankless, but God sees you serving your family. Some of you, you're being faithful in small finances. And God sees you. And yeah, you want to give and you, and you want to pour it out. And maybe there's been seasons you could, but right now you got this amount and you're being so faithful to God and you're trusting him and you're bringing your tithe into the storehouse. And you're like, no one sees me because I don't go to an auction and donate. You know, I'm not, my name's not on a building. God sees you. Some of you, you're being patient at work. You're being patient with that person at work. God's bringing opportunity. Your boss doesn't seem to recognize right? Corporate doesn't seem to recognize. Nobody seems to see you, but you are operating in faith with God at work. Are you with me? Don't worry if the world has overlooked you. How much attention they pay you does not define the anointing that God has given you. God sees you. There were many days and David was faithful in his field, but he was not yet fruitful in his anointing where he began to walk out what God had given him and he stewarded it well. Some of you are in a season where you're at home watching your kids and you're like, no one sees the fact that I don't lose my mind on these children every day, right? That's an anointing of God on your life, right? They don't see it, but God sees it. Some of you are like, no one sees. My family doesn't even know. And when I come from, from work, I don't even want to explain to them because they just be bummed out what, how patient I'm being at work and how faithful and how I'm trusting in God. And I want to respond, but I don't because I'm operating and I'm looking for opportunities for the kingdom. Listen, God sees. And you have no idea what God can do great in the kingdom with a little bit of faithfulness in your field. We're going to talk next week. Barry's going to preach about, you know, David breaking onto the scene against Goliath. And I just want to encourage you that we love to say, wow, isn't it amazing? Yes, but all of that was stewarded when no one saw. Don't worry if the world's overlooked you. Second thing, your anointing is not based on your appearance. David, he was handsome and ruddy. He was a sharp looking dude with some good eyes. He's a good looking guy, right? So it's not that God wasn't going to pick a good looking dude. Right? And we know later he's a good warrior. But that's not why he was chosen. If human vision had its way, Eliab would have been the king. But God works different. I think many of us feel disqualified from the work of the kingdom because of a vision we have of our own appearance. For some of us, it's not about being ruddy and handsome and good looking. Maybe you don't feel good looking enough for the kingdom, I don't know. But for many of us, it's more about, or less about looks and more about words that we carry upon ourselves. Failure, poor, divorced, right? I'm just picking words. We feel, we put those on ourselves and say, well, this word, that's why. It's like, that doesn't seem to be what the Bible says. But we put them on and we say, this is what people see when they see me. When they see me, they see somebody. Who's this? When people see me, they see somebody who has, has a past of addiction. So that means God must not be able to use me. 
when people look at me, and then they usually don't, most people are just worried about themselves, but we tell ourselves, when people look at me, they're seeing somebody, you know, who, who's a single mom, so that affects my ability to be used for the kingdom. It's not true. The anointing is not based on your appearance. The anointing is not based on even what you say about your appearance or what you say on your past. That's simply not true. And I think many people, and some of it's just judgment coming from the church because the church kind of stinks at that, is, and you'll never find that here, but that we like to write each other and write ourselves off because of this or that or the other. But the reality is that that's not the anointing of God. And that's not where it flows from. It flows from the Lord. The third thing, and this is, this is the why, the Lord looks at the heart. Man, I gotta say, there's nothing wrong with uh, looking good on the out, outside, right? Like, nothing good, nothing wrong with dressing nice. I mean, you should take care of your body. Being physically fit's good. That's just helpful in general, right? Nothing wrong. I know we got some single people in here. They're like, yeah, let's, let's be good looking, right? That's cool. No problem, right? My wife's good looking. I'm down with that, right? And, you know, she's gotta work with this, but that's why I work out. You know, I gotta be strong at least, right? <laughs> But the Lord looks at the heart. We got a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar <clears throat> beauty industry. But man, we need like a multi-billion dollar heart industry. Because more important, not that the outward is not important. But more important is the inward. Not that taking care of your body, not that getting dressed up for date night is wrong. I'm not saying any of that. Don't take that. Pastor Josh doesn't believe in, you know, makeup. He's one of those churches. No, I'm not saying any of that stuff. Don't, please don't. I know we got estheticians and all kinds of stuff in here. I'm, love it. More work for you in the name of Jesus. I don't, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no hate mail, please. I'm just saying that's cool, but the most important thing, and our estheticians are going to agree with me too, that the inward appearance matters the most because you've met probably some of the most beautiful, ugly people as anyone. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, amen. That's right. <laughs> it's the inward. In God's eyes, that's what matters the most. David is the youngest. He's not even invited to the party. Because you imagine if his brother got picked, he's like, you didn't even give them an option? That's some youngest sibling stuff. Where are my youngest siblings at? You didn't even invite me? <laughs> right? We live in a rural area. There's 35 of us here. I have eight brothers. It's a short window for me, man. Like, you didn't even tell me he was in town? Y'all were eating? In the world's eyes, he wasn't the one, but in God's eyes, he was. Was he perfect? No. But his heart was for God. For a second, forget appearance. Forget the things you put on yourself to disqualify yourself. When God looks at your heart, what does he see? Will he find in your heart? If you said right now, God, search my heart. Will he find in your heart love for him? Will he find in your heart joy in him? Will he find in your heart obedience to him? What will he find if he searches your heart? Some people say, only God can judge me. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Only he sees your heart, so only he can truly judge. People can make judgments against you, and people can make judgment calls on whether they're going to spend time with you, but only God can truly judge you. Often that phrase is an excuse for unchristlike behavior. Like, I'm going to live sinfully, and only God can judge me. And it's like, he will. In the end, that's scary, right? But it should be the opposite. 
Only God can judge me. Only God can see my heart. It should inspire like a healthy fear of God. Like, oh my gosh, he's actually looking at my heart. No matter how much I dress my family up and bring them to church and bring them to small group and, you know, pay for my kid to go to like a private Christian school. And, you know, I got the Instagram and I'm posting up, I'm like an influencer and I'm posting up all these things. Like regardless of, you know, whatever you have, this church could have a thousand people. I could be leading a church of 20,000, let's say. But if like my heart is not for God, it doesn't matter matter. He sees my heart. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how Christian-y you guys think I am. If God looks in my heart, it, like that, that's a sobering reality for me. Do you ever have that sobering reality? When you read the word of God and it's like, God sees the thoughts of the inward man. And you're like, Ooh, when was earlier? Was he looking <laughs> like earlier when I was in traffic? He knows those ones. It's like, yes. It's like, wow. Okay. Not to make us be scared, but to make us go, oh, that's right. That's what he cares about. He's not impressed by my bank account. He's not impressed by how many small groups I lead, though we need more small group leaders. He cares about the heart. Are you with me this morning? He cares about the heart. God, I might be overlooked in everyone else's eyes, but not yours. You look at my heart. What I should pray is this. God, search my heart. <clears throat> Imagine if you ended every day. God, search my heart. Whatever you find, I repent to. And I ask for your grace in the new day. God, search my heart. Fourth thing, everyone's still together? Man, we're doing good. Good job, guys. Thank you. We're adding some coffee into the mix. We're going to see if that keeps it going. Yeah. God uses the unexpected to do the extraordinary. God uses the unexpected to do the extraordinary. Have you ever just gone through the Bible and looked at the kind of people God uses? Like, what is he doing? He's just picking the worst people. You feel that? You read the Bible and you're like, God, you, there's got to be some half-decent people out there, right? <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek because he picks people who follow him and obey him. But I was going through the list. I was thinking like Seth, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, Moses, even Samuel. Samuel, right, comes from a very unique situation. I think about this. Abraham was too old. Job was bankrupt, to say the least. Moses had a stutter, and God picked him to be the voice of his people. Gideon was afraid, and God picked him to be a mighty warrior. Rahab was a prostitute, and she's in the preserved lineage of Jesus Christ. The Samaritan woman was divorced amongst a myriad of other things. Jeremiah, famous prophet, was literally called too young. Jacob was a cheater. Naomi was a widow. Peter was rash, and he denied Christ three times. God built his church on him. Martha was a warrior. Zacchaeus was literally called small. Paul, one of the greatest uh, uh, apostles of the church literally began persecuting Christians. Even Jesus was from a town that when they're like, we found Jesus, he's from this town. They're like, what good comes from that town, right? On and on and on. Can I just give you a little hint here? When it comes to the kingdom and what God wants to do this year, stop disqualifying yourself. Because if you're like, wow, you know what? I, I, I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't talk right. I get afraid. I come from a unique past relationally or with children. I don't have all the money. I, I, I've gone through some problems. I've been in prison. I've been convicted of things. I'm from a place in a family no one expects. You might actually be qualified for God to use you because apparently that's who he picks. 
Because those are the kind of people who are not great in their own eyes, and they're like, fine, God, do whatever you want. Because the anointing does not come from the outward appearance, and God loves to use unexpected people to do extraordinary things. Listen, stop disqualifying yourself. Oh, the things of the Spirit, that's for somebody like Peter. Have you read about Peter? That dude's a mess, right? You know why Jesus has to heal the high priest's assistant ear? Because if he doesn't, Peter will get executed. Imagine having an absolute liability like that as a follower and then having Judas. <laughs> right? Jesus loves to. God loves to use people. We're constantly telling God, no, we're unqualified because of my past. God, I'm unqualified because of my appearance. God, I'm unqualified because of my standing. God, I'm unqualified because of my relationship. God couldn't use me. That's when I get married, then God can use me. When I get financially here, God can use me. And he's like, what on earth does that have to do with your anointing? The same spirit that was upon Peter is upon you. The same spirit that's upon David is upon you. The same spirit that was upon Jesus is upon you. The same spirit, not diet spirit, not spirit classic, not zero sugar spirit, full on Holy Spirit is upon you. God uses the unexpected to do the extraordinary. I love this passage of 1 Corinthians. It sounds like Paul is roasting these guys but he's not. <laughs> he's saying something profound. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it's written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I love that. God, I feel unqualified. He's like, perfect. Get on the bus. Let's go. That's who I'm looking for. Because when you begin to say, God, it's not by me, it's by you, you're ready for God to do something in your life. When you're out in the field, like, God, I'm faithful in the field, he's like, you're ready for me to elevate you. You know when David started having problems? When he got great in the palace. Man, when he was in the field, when he was just singing praises to God, he's like, God, I'm nothing. I'm just out here with you. Man, that was prime. Man, you guys can come up. Fifth thing, <coughs> receive the anointing of the Spirit. Receive the anointing of the Spirit. Y'all walked into a Holy Spirit church today. You might not even know. But we believe the Bible. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. One of the hardest things that I see is that the church longs for the move of God, but they struggle to long for Him to be present in the move. We need the Holy Spirit to move, to change, to shift our hearts. We say, we don't want it to get weird. Really? Isn't it odd what we choose to label weird? Turn on the news. The world is on fire. Our government sucks, right? People kill each other, breaking into buildings and hurting each other, right? And we go, yeah, well, that's just how it is. And then we come to church, someone speaks in tongues like, that's too weird. Now it's weird, right? Half this nation's dying of fentanyl. That's fine. That's normal. But God forbid someone tries to give a word, a prophecy. That's too weird for me, pastor. I want a boring, normal church 
that just is sad about the news and then goes on Instagram and yells about the government. Listen, we need some Holy Spirit weird. I'm not saying elevate ourselves. I'm not saying I'm running around here without a shirt screaming shit about a Honda. <laughs> Don't get that image in your head. I'm going to lose you. I'm saying we, we need different by the Spirit. The Spirit's different. The Spirit's uncomfortable to the things of the world. The Spirit shakes up the things of the world, shakes up the control of the world. When the oil was poured upon David, what does it say? It says the Spirit of God came upon David. What happened when Saul was anointed? It says the Spirit of God came upon Saul. You want to get weird? When Saul was anointed, he took off all of his clothes and started prophesying. We're not doing that. Nobody do that. <laughs> Barry. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of God has been anointing his people and moving in power and authority from the beginning did you know in the deeps when there was chaos the spirit of God hovered over the deep and moved but you know right now in the chaos of our nation and our world, the Spirit is hovering over, anointing the people of God to move in power and authority. But we need to receive it. He's already brought it. He's already handed it. He's already come with it. But listen, we need to be saturated by it. You know why they anointed people with oil? Because the oil would cover their body and it would begin to seep into their pores, like in, saturate their body. And it was this symbolic motion of the presence of God saturating their entire being. We need that, church. We need the Spirit. When you receive Christ, you said, yes, Jesus, I need you. Send your Spirit to fill me. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Many people, I believe, they, they long for God to move through someone else. That's someone else's thing. But can I tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the anointing is upon you. You cannot think of a disqualification that God has not overcome on the cross. And he sent his spirit to be upon you. And church, I feel like if there's anything we do during 21 days, it's inviting the anointing of the spirit to move through us and just giving him space. I don't care what food you give up. God does not care what food you give up. What it matters the most is not what you lay down. It was not what you abstain from putting into your body. What matters the most is what you choose to put into your soul. Will you be pursuant of the presence of God and say, I receive the anointing. I'm done letting the world tell me that I am unqualified for what God wants to do. I'm done letting past voices tell me that God cannot move through me. I'm tired of insecurities in my life telling me that I can't lay hands on people and see them healed. I'm believing the promises of God this year. I'm believing the promises of the word of God and of his spirit this year. And I'm saying, God, search my heart. If there's any way within me that would obstruct from what you want to do, God, I just pray you would take it away because I don't want to be Eliab. I want to be David. I want when I, when I come before you, God, for you to say, yes, this is the one that yes, they've been alone in the field. Yes, the world has overlooked them. Yes, the world has forgotten them, but I've not forgotten them and I've prepared them for what I want to do. Church, are you ready for God to search your heart?
Would you stand with me this morning? <laughs> As you stand to your feet, would you just close your eyes? <coughs> Since God looks at the heart, what do you say we start there this morning, church? Wherever you are, God looks at the heart. We got to start there. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray, God, search my heart. God, if there's any way within me that is not from you, if I don't have a heart after you, I repent of it. Here's what's so cool is when we confess with our heart and we repent those things, it says that God heals us. And repenting is a changing of our mind and our ways away from the old to the new. And his spirit is present in that work. But it begins with us saying, God, search my heart. So here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take a moment right here. We're not gonna move from this moment because we need Jesus to begin to minister. He's beginning to minister to some of you right now. Even he wanted to be stirred to an expectation, but you felt your heart limited. There's something there. And the enemy is gonna try to use it against you if you don't surrender it to God. He say, listen, you can't step into this because of that thing that's hanging around in your heart, whatever it is. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a returning pattern of behavior that is counter to the will of God. Lust, greed, anger, whatever it might be. We gotta lay it down now so we can step in to operating in the anointing of what God has. So right now, here's what I want you to pray. We're gonna stay in this very chill moment right here. Reflection. Just pray, God, search my heart. Whatever he reveals, say, I've repented to you. just I sense in this room maybe some uneasiness but as you do that God is well pleased hear me say we're just in God's goodness right now so take a moment but not out of fear with the Lord in recognizing that he cares for you so as you repent receive the joy of the Lord and the goodness of God This is all I got breath for. This is going to be the shortest altar call that you've heard me give right here. <laughs> if you're here in this place and you're just ready to fully surrender your heart from God and step into the space of 2024, it's like, God, you have my whole heart. I'm ready for whatever you want to do. I'm just going to invite you. The band's going to lead. I'm going to invite you to just come forward. We're going to just sanctify this altar space right now. Here's what I want you to do. If you're in that posture, God, I give you my whole heart. I'm ready for whatever it is you have. For your spirit to move upon my life. I'm done disqualifying myself. Maybe you got to leave something here. That's fine. I'm done disqualifying myself saying, God, I'm ready. I'm just going to invite you come up to the altar and just say, God, I give it to you right here. All of my heart, all of my being, I lay at your feet and I receive from you. And our prayer team is going to be up here. If you want prayer, you can pray, but I just release you right now. We're going to have a moment of action together. If you feel like you're in that place, God, I'm stepping in. 
I'm ready for a move of your spirit. Use me. Call me out. I receive your anointing. Just come forward and have a moment. However long that is, God, I give you my whole heart. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.